Yoga in all its forms has been a support for me in my life through all the highs and lows. It's opened my mind and my heart in ways I never knew were possible. It has been a teacher, a taskmaster, and a friend. This podcast is an offering. I wish to share the teachings of yoga with you as a tool to help navigate life. Namaste and welcome. Welcome back to It's All Yoga with Jackie. I'm so happy you're here. I want to continue our talk about the fluctuations of the mind, the ripples that we talked about in the last episode. We looked at the first and second sutra of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, the second being Yoga's Chittavritti Naroda. Yoga calms the fluctuations of the mind. That is the purpose of yoga. What are these fluctuations? It's not enough to know that yoga has the ability to calm these fluctuations. It's more important that we're given the understanding of what is their origination, where what are their roots? How do we recognize these vrittis, these ripples? Because what we are trying to attain is peace of mind is serenity, to truly be at ease. May all beings know ease, live with ease, part of the metta, loving kindness offering. What we come to understand with the teachings of yoga is it's all about us. (laughs) It's all about you. It's really not about anyone else. And what I mean by that is that it is our peace of mind is determined by our choices. There's a wonderful book by Sylvia Borstein called Happiness is an Inside Job. And it is. We talked about the rough seas or the ripples on the lake. We talked about the calm ocean floor. Life is always going to be rough. It's always going to be, it's always going to fluctuate. One thing that we know for certain is that life is always uncertain. One thing that we know absolute is that all things are impermanent. So if if this life is always ever changing, our role is to acknowledge how we ride those waves of change, how we show up. So when we look at the second sutra, when we look at the vrittis or fluctuations, what we want to begin to do is we want to begin to recognize what disturbs our peace. And then once we recognize how our peace is affected, then we make choices and decisions based on how we want to feel. One of the things that Patanjali shares with us is that there are really two categories of vrittis or fluctuations. One is painful and one is painless. 
and we look at different things in our lives and different situations in our life that either bring us pain or don't bring us pain. One significant thought here is that he doesn't say life is either painless or pleasurable. Because when we look at the fluctuations of our mind, when we look at this disturbed ease that we are responsible for, we notice that even the things that bring us pleasure will eventually bring us pain. Another way to look at it is selfless or selfish. What do we mean by that which brings us pleasure can ultimately cause us pain? I like to use the image of how excited I get with a fresh box of French chocolate truffles. I'm so happy. I'm elated. I'm this is the epitome of pleasure. Yay! But then as they get eaten, and if I'm kind and share them, soon the box is empty. I was so overjoyed at this thing that brings me pleasure. And now that it's over, I'm thinking, how am I going to get that feeling again? I'm always seeking that feeling. I don't feel so happy anymore. Ideally, I didn't eat them in all, all in one sitting. So my pain doesn't come from a stomachache. It comes from loss of that moment of ecstasy, that initial pleasure. In the sutras, they'll look at these two categories, painless and painful, in regards to love, of course. So when you love someone or something, it's pleasurable. But how many of us have experienced loss? heartbreak. What, or also jealousy, hatred, um, and so on, because we realized that that wasn't a pure love. It was a love based on some expectation in return. There was a bit of selfishness in it. You know, that kind of like, I love you. What can you do for me? I love you. How can you make me feel? I love you how aware of you of my awesomeness <laughs> you know it's a game that kind of love that that romantic love and not just romantic love but that kind of other love um if the other does not keep meeting our expectations of what it means to feel the love from them well then we get angry or we suffer or we get jealous or we experience heartbreak or we break hearts. When you have this expectation, love seldom lasts. So although it appears to be a painless thought or experience, it can ultimately end in pain if it's based on selfless, selfishness. So I think on these terms, when we talk about love, I always think of unconditional love because students will say to me, 
in these talks. Oh, but you know, there's unconditional love. We can love unconditionally. And if we love unconditionally, we don't suffer. And, and I usually cry BS. <laughs> I usually call BS on that because my perception of things is that the only love that is without condition, truly pure, is the love of the divine, the love of spirit, the love of a, a higher source. I tend to use the word divine. And the love of the self. Those are the only two loves that, in my experience, I have experienced as unconditional love. I'll give you an example. People say, but I love my children unconditionally if they have kids. And again, I say, I don't really think you do. And they don't like that, but it's the truth. We love and we love deeply, but do we truly love unconditionally or do we put expectations even on our children? Behave in a certain way, love me in a certain way, Remember to call me every week if you don't live home with me or remember to clean your room and I won't be annoyed at you or remember to get good grades or remember. We put so many expectations on our children that to love them unconditionally, to say that we love them unconditionally is really not being honest because to love them unconditionally would look like a much freer, expansive love that really put no pressures on them that are really of the parent living vicariously through the children or the parent needing the children, expecting the children to behave and become something that would be a really positive representative of themselves. So in other words, you need your children to behave in a certain way and to become certain adults so that you can feel proud of yourself. Right there is condition. Then students will try to stump me with, I love my dogs or my cat or whatever, unconditionally. I love my dogs. I have unconditional love for my dogs. Okay, maybe you do fine, but the love is not necessarily reciprocated unconditionally from your pet. I have numerous dogs and I truly believe that they love me with conditions. They are not going to love me if I don't feed them. If someone else starts feeding them because I stopped feeding them, they are then going to go love that person. So when we're looking at love as an example of a place where we experience this painless or painful life, we want to be very aware that true selfless love can only come in relationships to someone or something where you are not expecting anything in return at all. Not occasionally I don't need something in return or occasionally I do, never. That's, that is how you will maintain an equilibrium. That is how you will maintain 
a steady center in order to be in a state of ease and peace. It's very, very challenging. It's very difficult. It's a practice. And the first thing we want to do is start to recognize our reactions to things, how people set us off, you know, or how people hurt us or how people affect our emotions. Because it's our emotions that are the vrittis. It's our emotions that are going all over the place. And we are very much capable of being in control of our emotions. They're simply thoughts. They're simply thoughts. And you are not your thoughts. You are the one that witnesses the thought. Another emotion or experience that we have that can be painful or painless would be anger. So anger can bring pain in the beginning. If you're angry with somebody, if you, you know, if you really lose your patience or lose your temper with somebody, that can feel painful in the beginning. But on the other side of it, it can actually be painless or it can feel selfish selfish in the beginning to lose your temper with someone. But in the end, it might actually be selfless. Here's how. When we become angry with someone, especially someone that we care very much about, we may be reacting in this way because we're not necessarily trying to make them feel bad, but we might be trying to show them that if they made other choices than the ones they're making, then they might find themselves in a life that is more appealing to them. You have to be very careful here. You don't want to lose your temper with someone or be angry with someone because the choices that they're making, because it's not making your life easeful. You actually are really concerned about this other person. It's less selfish in the beginning than we might want to think. Your reactivity of anger or impatience or frustration is because you can see the potential in this person and maybe in the moment they can't. Another example of this anger uh, starting off as painful but actually being painless or appearing selfish but being selfless is when a young child runs into the street. And I say to people, the young person runs into the street, young child runs into the street, oncoming traffic. We're not supposed to be constant 24-7 loving beings. Life isn't designed that way. Survival isn't designed that way. So child runs into oncoming traffic, what are you going to do? Oh, sweetie, honey, oh that's probably not a good idea, you know, in a car or something, or something terrible happens. No, you are going to grab that kid by the arm and whip them back to the sidewalk. And you might use profanity and you're angry and you can't believe they just risked their life like that. And they're, I thought you told you to look both ways or to hold my hand or to, but in the end, that anger is to make a point. It's to wake the child up to their wrongdoing that could have caused them harm. Again, you can't always do that lovingly. I think of, and I, I don't know that this is actually a, this is a vision I get in my head. It doesn't necessarily mean it will align itself perfectly with what I'm speaking of, but 
I remember years ago when I was first learning about Buddhism and Tibetan Buddhism, and there was a documentary or something I was watching on Tibetan Buddhist monks in their saffron robes gathered in a room. They were all men and they had someone standing in the middle of a circle. Everyone else was seated on the floor. And this standing person was really yelling. They were really angry. I didn't understand what they were saying because it was in Tibetan, but I, I, I looked at this and in my naivete of many years ago with the study of Buddhism and all things spiritual, I thought, well, that guy seems pretty mad. You know, what's, what's he got to be all upset about? He's a Buddhist monk, you know? And then when he was finished with his, what looked like a tirade, he smacked his hands, and I, I won't do it for fear it will be too loud for this recording, but he smacked his hands to, I don't know, at the person that was sitting on the floor. And I remember my son, I said to him that I had watched this, or maybe he had seen it as well. And I said, well, that just doesn't look right. And he has, has been studied, he has studied Buddhism and, and uh, Eastern um, philosophy, I believe. And he said, well, that is a debate. They're debating or arguing, but they're debating. And what I came to learn was, I'll give you my perception of it, because I'm sure there's a much more academic understanding of it. But my perception of it was almost like they needed to take this strong, firm stance with how they presented whatever the philosophical view was that they were debating, I saw it as almost like, wake up. Or like, we need to keep ourselves stimulated and keep debating these teachings and these ideas. Um, and I want to keep stimulating you and I want you to keep stimulating me in a way that keeps us sharp to all of this. I don't want to get dull in my senses. Um, I'm not going to learn this and master it. This is something that I'm going to have to keep exploring in this precious human life form. And again, that is my perception of what this kind of philosophical or religious debate is for. And the smacking of the hands, I saw as being like, um, almost like Cher in Moonstruck when she slaps Nicolas Cage across the face and she says, snap out of it. You know, and it's like the, the the smacking of the hands is almost like snap out of it. Snap out of the avidya, the ignorance. Snap out of the dullness. Snap out of the patterns of behavior. Um, again, what I truly believe is that the smacking of the hands denotes that that person is finished with their portion of their debate. But I saw it as snap out of it. You know, I just jump right into a, a share movie. Um we want to be continually waking up to our patterns of behavior in order for us to take full responsibility for our reactivity, our fluctuating emotions, our vrittis, our rough seas or rippled lakes. I want to keep getting woke, as they used to say. I want to keep awakening others. I want to continue the discussion of why we are the way we are. And the ideal would be that we can start to see glimmers of light. As again, we had said earlier, 
we start to clean the soot off of our lanterns so that we can continue to shine brightly for each other. That is union. That is yoga. I'll probably repeat this in other times, but I heard Sting, um, who has been a yogi for over 30 years, and um, I'm pretty sure I passed him in the hallways of Jivamukti Yoga Studio back in the day. And he said his definition of yoga, which means to yoke, right, to bring together your movement in the world with your consciousness. Yoga is yoking or uniting the way you move in the world with your consciousness of yourself in the world. That is yoga. So we need to become awake to our behaviors in order to begin to recognize the ones that are serving us and others and the ones that are actually shackling us or holding us back. And it's all up to us. Happiness is truly an inside job. Thank you for listening. Hands together at the heart center in prayer position. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be healthy and strong. May all beings be safe and protected. May all beings live with ease. Namaste.